In this week's episode, Poshmark is spending money, Etsy is holding on to money, and eBay is just messing around with our money. What is up, Galaxians? Welcome to another episode of the Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. My name is Ryan, and I will, as always, be your host. We've got a pretty full show today. Uh, nine, I think, news stories to cover, with the big one obviously being the eBay fall seller update. We'll cover that last so we can open up a bit of a discussion for anybody who is here on the YouTube Live this morning. We go live every Wednesday in theory, at least, <laughs> uh, at 10 a.m. Eastern. So if you're inclined to join me at some point, just look us up on the YouTube. But with that, let's get into... <clears throat> news updates. The reselling news for this week. We're going to start off with what was in the uh, headline, Poshmark has acquired a company called Suede One, which will enable them to do fast virtual sneaker authentication. So this is a pretty big move for Poshmark. Uh, if you're a posher and you're a sneaker reseller, uh, this could really be good. Uh, this is on Seller 365. Uh, as always, I will link to these stories in the show notes and the video description below. So if you want to go read in a little more detail what's going on, but just a few days on from PoshFest 2021, which was last week, if I recall, uh, Poshmark are continuing their momentum as they have now announced the acquisition of Suede One. They will be joining the likes of eBay and StockX by offering their own authentication service. This is, they say, a big move for the fashion marketplace, and you can see the full press, re press release, that is. Below, we're going to go over a little bit of that. Uh, Poshmark, of course, is a leading social marketplace for new and secondhand styles for women, kids, pets, at home, and more. Today, they announced they had acquired Suede One, a platform that combines machine learning, computer vision, and expert human review to virtually authenticate sneakers. The Suede One team will join the Poshmark team effective today. So as soon as this thing was announced... The deal was done, and the Suede One people were employees of Poshmark. So uh, they say, quote, we are laser-focused on making strategic investments that fuel the continued growth of our business, give the best overall experience for buyers, and make our marketplace the number one most trusted destination for sellers. Uh, Suede One, they say, has built impressive capabilities in virtual authentication that will allow us to deliver tangible benefits to our community, scale, our authentication services in a meaningful way and accelerate our momentum in sneakers as well as luxury goods, two of the fastest growing categories in the resale space. They are, of course, as they say, thrilled to welcome the Suede One team to Poshmark. Founded back in 2000, according to the article, Suede One has a technology that enables an inventoryless approach to authentication. So you don't actually have to send your items to this company in order to have them authenticated. The technology analyzes product image, running algorithms on consistencies to identify whether an item is real or counterfeit for popular sneakers such as Jordan 1s and Yeezy 350s. Suede One can automatically authenticate the majority of submissions, amazingly, with greater than 99% accuracy based on internal testing. For other sneaker types, human experts 
Review the submission with help from the company's proprietary authenticator tool. Suede One has built a reputation for credible and quick authentication with the broader resale community as well as esteemed resellers. Authenticating a pair of Nike Air Yeezy One prototypes that sold for the low, low price of $1.8 million at an auction. Uh, Suede One's virtual authentication capabilities will complement Posh Protect, which guarantees a full refund for any item not matching its listing description, and Posh Authenticate, which will continue to offer free authentication by Poshmark's team of luxury experts for orders of $500 or more. So this is a really big move, again, for Poshmark to really solidify their place in the sneaker game. Obviously, eBay and StockX are kind of the two biggest players in that space that do authentication. So this will allow Poshmark uh, theoretically to compete with them on a little more, maybe even a little more advantageous playing field because they'll be able to do this a lot more quickly with it being virtual. So kudos to Poshmark for making the investment. If you are a sneaker reseller, let me know in the comments. Uh, is that something that would convince you to look at Poshmark if you're not currently selling there? Uh, and if you are selling there, is this something that you think will be helpful? Moving on to Etsy. Um, it's kind of a good news, bad news thing for Etsy this week. We're going to start with the bad news and then work gradually <laughs> uh, into the better news. Sellers are reporting that Etsy has begun a much more aggressive holding of sellers' funds. This appears on e-commerce bytes. There are apparently, uh, there's a Reddit thread that discusses this as well. So this is not an isolated incident. As I've mentioned before, I don't sell on Etsy, so I don't I don't have any firsthand experience of this. If you are an Etsy seller and you've had any problems getting your money, uh, let us know in the comments or if you're here live today in the chat. A seller has reported that Etsy is holding 75% of their funds in reserve, leaving them struggling to pay their bills. Reserves are normal on a lot of these platforms, to be fair. For new sellers or those who have received a warning for a policy violation, but a rumor is circulating that Etsy is testing a new, more aggressive practice of holding funds, even of well-established sellers. Um, they have sent emails to some of these sellers. There's a copy of one here. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but one of the, the things that they suggest, want your funds earlier? When you add tracking information for an order, the funds in your reserve are made available when the package shows that it's in transit. So it sounds like from the way that is presented that you've got a lot of sellers on Etsy that are still not uploading tracking information to the Etsy platform. And Etsy is deciding to aggressively hold those sellers' funds. So I... For my part, I, again, I've talked about this previously. I can't imagine in today's day and age sending something out without tracking information. So if you have that available, I don't know why you wouldn't just take the extra step and upload that to Etsy, especially if it sounds like they're going to hold your funds. This all sounds like, in addition to being a way to get sellers to upload that tracking information to get more sellers in line with their star seller program. And this is one of the things that's part of that program. Uh, they give some other tips, ship your orders on time and adjust your processing times. If you need more time, provide tracking to your buyers whenever possible. Don't mark items as shipped before they're dropped off with your carrier and respond to any messages from customers quickly within 24 hours. If you can 
If you've followed along here, you will know that most of those things also very closely align their star seller program. So they're very much keen on getting people to participate in those programs. There are a lot of sellers over on Etsy that are, of course, not happy about this. Uh, one is quoted, I'm a longtime seller impacted by this. Two weeks ago, I received a notice out of the blue that for the next three months, Etsy would be holding 75% of my payout, WTH. I've been selling since 2013 and have three successful shops. I sell more than $100,000 worth of goods. No answer to my queries from Etsy. I don't know what they're trying to achieve, but in this case, it's one less store. My inventory is for sale and I'm out. Um, Sellers over on Reddit are discussing this as well. They seem to be of the consensus um, that payment reserves are probably on the horizon for everybody who does not upload tracking. So if you're over on Etsy, be aware of that. Um, They say for their part, Etsy says they're unable to remove a reserve once it has been placed on a shop. For most sellers, that reserve will be removed within 90 days and you'll be notified that it's been removed. However, we will monitor the shop during this time and if there are concerns with order fulfillment, again, probably that tracking number, The reserve could be extended up to 180 days. We will send you an email to let you know once the reserve is removed from your shop. So if you're a seller on Etsy, again, uh, feel free to chime in. Let us know what's going on over there. Are you seeing any aggressive holds on your funds? Um, This would, again, we're in that time of year where that's a, a real problem because sellers need that money to pay for the additional shipping for all the additional orders that they're getting to continue to bring in inventory for Q4. So the timing of this is, as with several things we're going to discuss today, (laughs) uh, not real good. But uh, again, you can let us know. One improvement, to move on to some better news, that Etsy is doing with their Star Seller program, one of the criteria was responding to messages within 24 hours. In order to become a star seller on Etsy, sellers must show that they are responsive to customers who contact them. However, a fatal flaw in the program, sellers who receive no messages during the program review period, which is monthly, have been excluded from the program, which obviously makes no sense. You can't respond to messages that you don't get. Uh, And they, therefore, have lost out on the advantages that Etsy provides to star sellers. Etsy this week announced that it would stop excluding sellers who receive no messages during that review period. So how that was ever allowed to be part of that program, I'm not quite sure, but kudos again to Etsy for figuring it out and undoing it. They say uh, going forward, sellers who don't receive any new messages during their review period, but still meet the shipping and five-star review criteria of 95% or more will still be recognized for their amazing customer experience and be eligible to receive a star seller badge. They also said they've made it easier for star sellers to be discovered by shoppers. Star seller badges are now visible in search results, in shops, and on listings. They said and noted that star sellers have an increased chance of getting featured on Etsy, such as in the recent emails that were sent to buyers earlier in the month. So um, seems like a really basic (laughs) uh, thing to have done, but again, Thank you to Etsy for actually fixing it. Last bit of news for Etsy this week. Uh, Etsy will be launching its holiday sales hub on November 1st. Etsy said shoppers are searching for finds earlier than ever this year, and it's asked sellers to put their items on sale for the month of November as it gets ready to launch a holiday sales hub 
on November 1st. Our expert advice is to put your listings on sale from November 1 to December 1. So you can let us know again in the comments or in the chat. Or of course, you can email me if you're listening to the podcast at galaxycds at gmail.com and let me know, is this something that you are going to try to participate in? They also said their Cyber Week sales event, which is Thanksgiving through Cyber Monday, may be its biggest one yet. We'll share more details on that soon, they said. But if you extend your sale through December 1st, you'll likely reach Cyber Shoppers too. Etsy said, excuse me, in its Ultimate Guide to Holiday, published on September 1st, they also offered additional tips to make the most of the season. Be sure you check to see, they say, how great a discount Etsy requires for a chance to have your item featured in its holiday marketing pages in 2020, it required sellers to mark their goods down 20% for the Cyber Week sale. So again, uh, an opportunity to potentially get some additional exposure to your items, but a fairly hefty price if you've got to discount your stuff by 20%. So be on the lookout for that if you are over on Etsy. Mercari partnered with global data and online market research company Zogby Analytics to do a study about holiday shoppers and their likelihood of taking advantage of secondhand goods this year. Uh, They report that it could very well be a secondhand holiday as 77% of American adults polled expect to buy at least one secondhand item this holiday season. Collectively, that would mean $69.2 billion may be spent on previously owned items from October through December of this year, which would be up 24% to last year. 72% of holiday consumers polled said they will shop resale to save money. Some of the other top reasons, finding deals on new or like new items, finding secondhand holiday shopping easy, and again, as we've talked about previously on this channel, sustainability concerns. Supply chain issues were also cited as another factor encouraging consumers to turn to resale this holiday season. If you've been following the news news at all, you know there are a lot of issues with supply this year, particularly in some categories, toys being the biggest one. And people are already kind of out in front of that shopping. So be on the lookout for that. The average consumer, they say, will spend $342 this year on secondhand items, which would be up a little over 17%. They also say unwanted holiday gifts present a big opportunity for consumers to make money through resale. 36% of those who receive unwanted gifts are planning to resell them, which indicates many households are not yet taking advantage of the resale market to make some cash. So I talked about this at the end of the last holiday season. I can't remember the number, but it was a fairly high number. There was a survey done over in France, if I'm not mistaken, about how many people intended to sell their their holiday gifts. And it was an enormous number. So this is, you may see the market kind of flooded with some inventory post-holiday as these people jump in. So we will definitely see how that goes. There's an article on e-commerce bites, speaking of the holidays about the holiday shopping calendar, eBay versus Amazon. eBay, for their part, is sticking with a much more traditional holiday shopping calendar where Amazon, if you've been following them at all, is already bragging about the early start for the holiday shopping on its marketplace on Wednesday, October 13th. 
Uh, eBay's advertising account tweeted to merchants, break out your calendar and circle these important dates to launch your next promoted listings portfolio campaign this holiday season. So they want kind of like Etsy for people to promote listings in some way above, above and beyond what they're already doing. They talked about Halloween early November as being holiday prep and then focused on Thanksgiving, Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, and Cyber Monday. Meanwhile, on the other side, Amazon has already kicked off its holiday shopping season on October 4th, which was the earliest date ever. They say they've already sold a million toys from their holiday shopping list. Quote, our customers are in full holiday planning mode. Since we kicked off our holiday season, they've purchased more than one million toys on the holiday toy list. So Amazon is way out in front of this. Again, I think because of the potential of supply issues, people are in fact shopping earlier this year than in years past. And Amazon appears to be taking full advantage of that. eBay, not so much. And Etsy kind of falls somewhere in the middle, kicking theirs off on November 1st. So that's really, really interesting uh, to see. I had seen another article that Amazon apparently has sent to some people. I did not receive one. An actual printed catalog that put folks in the mind of the old Sears Christmas catalog. So if you received one of those, let us know in the comments if, if you got it and what you thought of it. Uh, I know that was always a big deal when I was a kid, the Sears uh, Christmas catalog with all the toys. I was a I was a big model train nut when I was a kid. I still am. And that was always, I couldn't wait for that catalog to show up. So it'll be real interesting to see how that does for Amazon. Speaking of Amazon and eBay, we talked last week about Amazon has changed the requirement in the fashion categories and they're no longer allowing sellers to deduct the cost of return shipping on returns. Seller 365 has an article asking the question, will eBay sellers have to pay customers for returns soon? The reason for that thought is that eBay, of course, has followed Amazon's lead in a lot of these instances. Uh, they say eBay sellers will need to watch out for the latest ploy from Amazon that could one day impact them. Online retailer announced that they would start charging marketplace sellers in fashion categories fulfilling their own orders for return shipping. Amazon self-fulfilling sellers will not be able to opt out of this new automated returns program and must also offer free returns to match Amazon's return standard in those categories. Amazon has said for their part, this new policy is to provide a similar customer service experience to buyers as when they purchase items sold and shipped by the online retailer. It appears Amazon is trying to crack down on inaccurate fashion, list and fashion listings that may be causing higher returns. Apparel items purchased online are one of the most returned products across all of online commerce, according to a recent report from the National Retail Federation. We've talked about that here in the past, that if you are a clothing slash fashion reseller, your return rate is generally significantly higher. One of the biggest reasons for that is things like it doesn't fit. And that's why sizing requirements are such a big deal in the item specifics and so on. The same study from the NRF found that $565 billion in online retail sales resulted in $102 billion in returns. So 18% of all sales were returned. That is a staggering number. And if you're a small seller and you're taking 18% of your sales back in returns and you're paying return shipping on top of it for all that, 
that can start to get a little difficult to make some money. The question, of course, is will eBay follow this Amazon returns policy? Amazon has long been leading the way to set policies and customer expectations. We've talked about that <laughs> uh, on numerous occasions here. Uh, Amazon is the 800-pound gorilla in the room, and when they start to offer things, free shipping, free returns, 30-day returns, the extended holiday returns, that because of their size and their user base, that almost kind of becomes the de facto norm and other companies are almost forced to try to follow suit uh, because they've changed buyers' expectations. Certainly there's a case they say to be made that sellers of all sizes must try to be competitive in this e-commerce world, but some of these seller policies eBay has implemented recently forced sellers to adapt to this new customer expectation by itself, they say that's not a terrible thing. Um, we'll see. I don't. I don't know if eBay can go down that path. The new CEO doesn't seem to be following Amazon quite as closely as the previous regimes did. The article points out that most eBay sellers would agree that eBay is not and should not be Amazon, but that doesn't mean that the marketplace is immune to those customer expectations. While eBay has introduced options for sellers to offer free returns, it has not forced the use of them on sellers just yet. Now, they have made it through the top seller, top rated seller program, very attractive to do so because you get a discount on your fees. So they're really pushing in that direction, uh, but they have not yet, at least, made it a requirement. So let us know if you're a seller over on Amazon. Have you been impacted yet by that new fashion return policy? And if you are a seller on eBay, are you concerned that that may become the new normal over there? eBay sent out an email uh, mid last week, improved shipping label experience, new payout timing options, and more. The most interesting thing about this email was that there was absolutely not a word in it about new payout timing options. <laughs> uh, so I'm not quite, totally sure what they were referring to there. I know they had said in uh, the eBay open sessions that they were planning to change the payout timing so that people could theoretically get their money quicker. But this email that they sent out purportedly to talk about that does not actually mention it at all. So, uh, but they do change uh, effective October 15th, which was uh, several days ago. You can now use, if you're paying through eBay rather than with a credit card or PayPal, your pro pay for shipping with your processing available and, this is new, your on-hold funds, which seems like, why, why not just do away with the on-hold funds thing altogether? And if you have a return and you don't have money in your account, they just bill your credit card or whatever your payment method on file is. Why have three categories of this if essentially the only thing you pay for from that fund, if you will, is your eBay fees and shipping. So if they're going to allow you to pull from it, it's not really on hold anymore. So just get rid of it. <laughs> uh, not that eBay listens to me. I'm sure they're not listening to this little old podcast. But anyway, if you're paying for shipping now um, through your eBay payments, managed payments program, uh, you can use on hold payments as well. So I suppose that's a little bit helpful. People sometimes get caught in the middle, especially if you're on a weekly payout, Tuesday morning can be a little rough because all of your money transfers out and there's not much left in there. 
if you've got a big bunch of orders overnight, um, shipping money can get a little interesting. So uh, they also mentioned that they have changed uh, the transaction report experience and they have added new multi-user account access so that you can have associates within your group if you have employees take on certain crucial tasks without necessarily having access to your um, sensitive account information. So those are all good things. Thank you to eBay and uh, let us know about this uh, payout option thing because I'd really like to move mine from Tuesday. (laughs) Uh, Tuesday just doesn't really work for me, so I'd like to get that moved. But anyway, now to the the biggest... uh, Some sellers have called it a disaster, the worst eBay update in history. I don't, I don't know how many people it's actually affected. I, for my part, have only had maybe two dozen listings that I had to make um, item specifics updates to. So it hasn't really affected me personally, but there are a lot of sellers who are experiencing a lot of woes with the recent fall seller update. It was announced back at the end of August that it was going to go into effect in early October. Somehow it still managed to catch a lot of people by surprise and as is usually the case with these seller updates, it did not go very smoothly. I have said on this channel before, I will say it again. Again, not that eBay is listening to me, but I, like several other YouTube uh, resellers, have mentioned about themselves in the past. I, too, spent nearly 30 years in the corporate retail environment. I have I've managed multi-million dollar businesses, and these are not the kind of things that we as a business implemented in fourth quarter. These seller updates should take place in first quarter and third quarter so that they take place after the holiday selling season and well in advance of the holiday selling season so that the inevitable bugs in them can be worked out before fourth quarter really gets into gear, especially this year when it's starting even earlier than normal, it's been a real problem for folks. And I don't, I don't want to make light of their issues. I will say it's not new. Every time they do a seller update, you may recall my issues back in the spring. I had, as part of that seller update, there were a lot of changes to the media category. And I had literally thousands of listings that required some sort of updates. Looking back, I initially was perplexed by those updates. The one that I probably talked about the most was items, for instance, a CD that was listed in the category of music slash CDs now needed an item-specific media type CD. And I thought to myself, why in the world would that be necessary? It's already in that category. But... As I look at listings, as I'm doing research for my own new listings in various product categories, I constantly am finding items that are not in the right category. I find records in the CD category. I find CDs in the tapes category and so on. So we as sellers have not done a very good job of making sure that the data that we put into eBay's system is accurate. And all of these efforts appear to me to be an attempt by eBay to kind of force a little bit of accuracy. And I also would assume that eBay has looked at the data of how the majority of their users use the site, and they've decided that whatever these changes are that they're making will have the most 
long-term positive impact on the largest number of potential shoppers. There are some folks out there who seem to think that eBay does these things maliciously, that they're trying either directly to negatively impact sellers or at best are just incompetent. And I just, I don't, the incompetence thing, I suppose there might be something to that, but I just can't wrap my head around the idea that a company who still makes most of their money from seller fees would purposely be trying to hinder sellers. I genuinely believe, as I've talked about on this channel before, I try to assume positive intent with folks. And I assume that eBay has looked at that data and said that these changes make the most sense long term. In any change like this, there are, of course, going to be winners and losers. Some folks lost some data, some folks, and we'll get into some of the more, you know, nitty gritty problems with this update here in a minute. But one of the biggest complaints that I saw online was that buyers who had set up bookmarks for searches based on the old criteria, now those searches were worthless. And that's that's probably true. And those folks are certainly part of the losers of this. But I would say if I'm eBay and I see, and, and I'm, I have no special insight to this, I have no direct knowledge of it, but if I'm looking at the bulk of my users and I see most of them are using my site this way and I've got this really little group of people, very specialized, very devoted, hardcore buyers of whatever, postcards, records, whatever it is, use the site differently, which of those groups is it going to be most profitable for me to cater to? And I think eBay has made the decision, you can agree or disagree with it, that it's better to make it for this big group. Additionally, I would say that the smaller, more dedicated group is much more likely to adapt and adjust. They still want to be able to find that information and they will find a new way to set up a new bookmark search or whatever it is based on the new criteria because they're really into it. The broader group, if they don't find what they're looking for on the first or second search attempt, they probably stop looking. And those are lost sales opportunities, not only for eBay, but for us as individual sellers. So all of that to say, this, is, this has been very messy and it's very, as is the case every year at this time, it's very ill-timed in my opinion. But I think over the long term, eBay has made the right decisions. As a seller, you've got you've got some options. I mean, you can you can go on eBay and you can go on the Facebook groups and you can make a YouTube video accusing eBay of all kinds of things from incompetence to leadership being a joke to outright malicious anti-seller behavior. But I think that's a waste of your time and energy, to be completely honest. It doesn't help fix the problem that you have today which is that you're either having money taken from your account that's not supposed to be or your listings aren't showing up like they should. So you can do that. It would not be my recommendation. What I would recommend is, of course, that you figure out, the get yourself a stiff drink of whatever it is you drink this morning. For me, it's just coffee. <laughs> and figure out what you need to do with your business to fix the problem that faces you now. Find out how to most effectively and efficiently update your categories and your item specifics and get on with the business of getting it done. Communicate with eBay when necessary if you've got funds that are being incorrectly withheld from your account and so on. But do the work. There's a notion sometimes within the reseller community that this should always just be 
unicorns and rainbows. This should be easy and profitable and fun 24-7. And that's just, unfortunately, it's not the real world. If you've been in business, you know that one of the biggest things that you do as a business owner or manager is overcome obstacles, fix problems. Those are That's where the rubber meets the road and where you really make a difference. And this idea that these platforms, eBay, Amazon, Etsy, any of them should cater to us as resellers is probably a little bit misguided. We need to do the work to adapt to them. I will liken it uh, like one of my college professors did to uh, buggy whip manufacturers back in the day who were really bent out of shape about the advent of the horseless carriage. <laughs> uh, they didn't think it was going to be lasting. They, they thought it was a bad idea. They didn't get on board with the process, and many of them ended up out of business. The ones who didn't are the ones who saw the new reality, saw the new item specifics, and decided they needed to make the changes necessary in their business to fix those problems and move forward And that's kind of where we're at. The technology, if you follow tech at all, you know it's always moving. And you know that these these rollouts of these things are always fraught with peril. There are always problems. If you're a video game person at all, you know that virtually every video game that's released within sometimes on the day of release, it has an update or a patch. Because a lot of times you don't realize you can test this stuff all you want. But until you put it out into the wild where you have a big population of users trying to do things in ways that maybe you didn't think of, you don't find all the problems. And unfortunately, that's where we're at with eBay and these seller updates. And that's why they should move them to first and third quarter. (laughs) Uh, Your last option, of course, would be to just leave, which I've heard a lot of sellers talk about. I'm just going to leave eBay. I'm going to go to The question would be where? Where are you going to go? I looked at some numbers of my own. As you may know, if you followed me here, I sell on Bonanza, which is two or three sales a month. It's a couple of craft beers a a month for me. So that I can't, Bonanza is not the answer. I also sell on Mercari, which I do okay on, but I looked at the numbers. So just to give you a, a frame of reference of where I'm coming from and why I can't, no matter how mad I would get at eBay, I can't afford to leave eBay. So As of yesterday, I have about 7,100 listings on eBay, and I have a little more than half of that over on Mercari, uh, 3,700, something like that. Over the last 30 days on Mercari, I have had 11,438 impressions. So that is someone put in a search term, and one of my listings popped up in the results. And as they were scrolling through, they were exposed to that listing. That is the impression. So 11,438. Over that same 30-day period, on eBay, my listings had, wait for it, 1,004,335 impressions. So between the two platforms, eBay which has less than twice as many listings active, has done 98.9% of my impressions. In fact, my eBay listings have had more clicks by about 1,000, 1,500, than I've had impressions total over on Mercari. So in my, my personal case, and your mileage may vary, if I 
if I got ticked off at eBay, which I do almost every day, <laughs> to be fair, over something and just decided, you know what, I'm done with eBay, I'm moving, I'd have to go back and get a real job because 99% of my business essentially comes from eBay, despite my best efforts to uh, diversify. So speaking of the problems over on eBay with this false seller update, the, the biggest ones are the move of items in the collectible category, which should continue to receive a free gallery listing picture. A lot of those sellers are finding that the move from eBay of those items from one category to the other has resulted in a dollar charge per listing. There is one seller who commented uh, somewhere on here, he has like 44,000 listings in the postcard category, and each of those might be exposed to this erroneous $1 charge. Now, if you watched Don, the auction professor's video last week when this rolled out, he, he was one of those who really went on a rant about this program and how it was not working. And he is one that was exposed to a bunch of charges that should not have taken place. eBay obviously needs to get this corrected and get it fixed so that this does not happen. Again, it's one of those unintended consequences that unfortunately takes place when eBay does these rollouts. But that's a big one because it, for big sellers, could amount to a lot of money being withheld erroneously that they now have to spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to get it back, uh, which is not, again, well-timed in fourth quarter. So I totally get it. Um, the, the other issues were, of course, items not being able to be found. Uh, again, going back to the bookmark searches, if you had a lot of really specific information in your searches, a lot of those categories and criteria and subcategories went away in this new program. And if you had optimized your search or your listings for those old methods, a lot of your stuff wasn't showing up, which again, going into fourth quarter is certainly not a good program. Another issue that had cropped up, sellers were experiencing uh, that eBay did not enable the standard envelope, which is the super cheap trackable first class mailing rate for things like postcards and trading cards. The big one in this case was postcards, which moved from one category in collectibles to another, and this standard envelope had not been enabled. So you were forced to eat additional shipping charges or to send the item with an untrackable shipping, which you still paid probably a little higher rate for. So, of course, that was not good. eBay, much like they did two weeks ago when they rolled out a, an erroneous message about media mail rate changes, once they started moving these items, they posted again, Quote, please don't change your item specifics quite yet. The goal is to get your items to a broader category and work to automatically add relevant item specifics based on the old category it came from. This process will take some time, but we expect it to be completed by the 19th, which was yesterday, uh, though most changes should be completed, they said, by the 14th. So if you're a seller in those categories and you had hundreds or thousands of new item required item specifics pop up. Did you go in and start immediately changing them or did you wait? And did the transfer process that eBay is talking about here actually work where they took the information from the old listing and moved it to the new one and you did not ultimately have to make those changes? Let me know. Again, I was not in any of those categories that got affected by that. So let us know how that worked out. 
or if, in fact, it worked out. <laughs> uh, the question also came up, is eBay going to issue credits automatically for these incorrect charges? eBay, for their part, has said yes. No calls to customer service are needed as this will be done automatically. But a lot of sellers commented that historically they have found that that has not actually been the case and that eBay has not made those uh, credits retroactively automatically. So that could uh, continue to be an issue over on eBay. Again, please let us know in the comments or if you're here in the chat, which I'm going to pop into right now and see if you've had any issues with that new update and how they have affected you. Uh, let's see here. We got Rebel Junk. Hello. Listening while getting some photographing done. Nice. I have never been able to do that, to be honest. I can listen to music and some podcasts, but if I'm listening to something that I'm really trying to pay attention to, I get super distracted. <laughs> uh, the five resellers. Good morning. Wanted to pop in and say hi. We'll probably listen later today. Awesome. I appreciate it. Happy days, says Howdy. Uh, have you had trouble shipping to Puerto Rico on them? Always wanted a refund. I've not had, man, more than a couple of orders that I can remember that have gone to Puerto Rico, but I do not recall having had any difficulties. I know sellers talk about having problems shipping things to Puerto Rico, but I have not experienced that. Aaron Rebel Junk, 90% of my items are are collectible, but I've never used gallery photos. I don't have a lot of stuff in that category, but I, I've never used them either. I don't know. I know, I guess if it's free, and I knew it was free if I was paying enough attention, <laughs> uh, I would probably use it, but I haven't. I don't have a lot of stuff in that category to begin with. But yeah, if I had, and they had moved over there, and I had been charged for them, I would not not be pleased. Uh, like I said, Don in his video, I think he said in one minute he had $34 worth of charges. You multiply that by the number of hours in the day that it probably took for this thing to process. A guy like Don, who's a huge seller in that category, man, he could have had massive, massive amounts of charges. So with that, let's get into... Some some better news, some more fun. Uh, what sold? I think it's almost all on eBay. There might be a couple of Mercari's in here this week. Let's get jumped into the what sold segment of the podcast. This first item, this is a Magneto magazine issue number 18 from 2008 and a 2016 calendar also from Magneto, which is the New England Hot Rod Association magazine. Randomly picked these up at a garage sale. Back in the early spring, I remember it because it was really cold and I paid, I think, a quarter a piece for these. So 50 cents in these two items. I sold them as a lot. I had them listed for $24.99 with free shipping and I received the best. I sent out actually a 15% off offer on these for my watchers and sold them for $21.24 with free shipping. Here is a, a Bible. Seems like here lately every week. I'm selling some kind of religious book or Bible. The Holy Bible, New International Version, the New Schofield Study System. This was a leather-bound Bible from Oxford University Press from 1984. This sold on Mercari for $23 with free shipping, 
It was part of a pretty good-sized stack of Bibles that I was given for free at an estate sale. I've got a couple of sellers that I go to pretty regularly that do not charge for Bibles. I have tried, actually, to give them money for Bibles, telling them, hey, I'm just going to go sell this thing. Um, but they just, for whatever reason, whether it be religious or just you know good conscience, uh, they, they don't charge for them. So I end up making some pretty good money on those deals. This was an interesting book. I picked this up at an estate sale several months ago for $1, The Elements of Radio, the third edition by Abraham and William Marcus. This was a hardcover book from 1953. It's kind of a textbook about radio. Um, The original version of this book, I think, was written in the early 1900s. This was, as I said, a third edition. This went for $25 on a best offer with free shipping. So again, pretty nice 25 times my money before fees. Here's another book. This was part of the free haul from two weekends ago. So this is another free cost of goods sold of zero item. The Cypresses Believe in God by Jose Maria uh, Gironella. This was a one volume first edition. So this was a book that had been written in several volumes in 1956. Uh, Whoever this publisher was, out, I think it was Knopf, put out a version of this book that had all the volumes in one. This is another one that I had listed for $29.99 plus shipping that got a watcher. I sent out an offer of 15% off and sold it for $25.49 plus shipping, again, on a cost of goods sold of zero. Last week, I mentioned that I had been at a sale where there was a lot of tarot and tarot card reading stuff. Here is another book from that sale that I paid 50 cents for. Volume 2 of the Connolly Tarot, a handbook for the journeyman. This was a trade paperback first printing from 1987. Again, it's a book I own for very, very little, 50 cents. Sold for $29.99 with free shipping. Another book, another Bible. Uh, This was one I paid $2 for at an estate sale recently. This was not one of the free Bible givers. (laughs) Uh, The New Jerusalem Bible from 1985. This was published by Doubleday. It was a thumb indexed edition, so it had the little tabs cut into the pages. These New Jerusalem Bibles can be worth a ton of money. This was not a particularly collectible edition because this one did not have a lot of illustrations in it. A lot of the older ones from the 1960s and 70s were illustrated by Salvador Dali, which makes them a lot more valuable. They can be worth $60, $80, $100. Still, in all, for $2, this went for $35 with free shipping on Mercari. So we will definitely take that. Part of the big free haul from a couple of weeks ago was an enormous collection of Inspector Magret Mysteries by a writer called Georges Simonon. I believe he was French. I, I can't even remember how many. There must have been 50 different books. And I broke these up into lots based on how the cover art appeared. So I had lots of five, lots of seven, lots of eight. And I had a lot of lots. And they have all already sold. This is one buyer that purchased... Uh, three different lots, two lots of seven and one lot of five. I own these for next to nothing. They total went for $43 plus shipping on a best offer. 
I had reached out to the buyer and said, hey, you've got multiple lots purchased here. Give me a minute to pack these up and give you an invoice with combined shipping. And the buyer messaged me back right away and says, I, you accepted my offer. I'm not worried about the shipping charges. Just ship them in one box and keep the difference. So this worked out to be a really profitable sale, especially with a cost of goods sold of zero. So this was 19 books with a cost of goods sold of zero that went for $43 plus about $12 worth of shipping. So really nice sale. A couple of years ago, I bought a massive tub of old Ohio State football programs. Ohio State fans are, if you are one, you already know, or if you know one, you definitely already know, they are fanatic about their Buckeyes. So I picked these up. I probably overpaid for them. I paid a, um, about a dollar an issue for these Ohio State football programs, but they have sold over time reasonably well. I had one buyer who purchased four of these. I had two of the Ohio State versus Wisconsin from 1982, uh, another one from 1983, and Ohio State versus Minnesota from 1987. These four had a particular player on the cover that this person either knows or is a fan of. They had reached out to me. They sent me a message overnight one night saying, what would I, what would my best offer be for four of these with this particular individual on the cover? I, of course, did not get the message because I was sound asleep. I got up in the morning. I saw the message, and I saw that these four had already been ordered by the same person, so they didn't even wait <laughs> uh, for me to respond. So I've got four of these that were uh, cost of goods sold of a dollar each, so four bucks that went for thirty-five ninety-six with free shipping. So not a fantastic sale, but not bad. Old economics books. I've talked about these previously. They're not as good as the old Bibles, but they can bring relatively good money. This is from 1953, another Oxford University Press, a review of economic doctrines from 1870 to 1929. Riveting reading. (laughs) Uh, This is one, I think when I listed it, I actually had the only one. So I went, I shot for the moon. I had this thing listed for $79.99. Uh, plus shipping or best offer. I have had it for well over a year at that price. It is currently part of my 25% off sale, which reduced the price to, I think, $59.99. I had a customer that reached out to me with an offer of $40 plus shipping. This was part of a lot that I own for probably 50 cents, and I've had it for long enough that it's in this sale, which means I've had it for over a year. So based on that information, I didn't try to counter offer. I just took the $40 and headed to the bank. So $40 plus shipping on a cost of goods sold that is probably around 50 cents. This was a cool one. This is also from the free haul from last two weekends ago. Penguin Cookbooks by Len Dighton. This was a box set that included the Action Cookbook and the French Cookbook, both from 1967. Individually, these books are $10 to $15. In this box set from Penguin, however, they went for $75 plus shipping. I had this listed, I believe, for either $84 or $89.99, and I got an offer for $75 because I own it for nothing, 
that actually became the flip of the week, <laughs> uh, which I forgot to bring up the graphic because I'm terrible with this. But anyway, individually, not worth a whole bunch. But in this box set that was published by Penguin from 1967, a really nice sale, $75 on a cost of goods sold of zero. I don't know who this Len Dighton person is. He looked like maybe he was a, maybe he played a spy or some kind of action person on a TV show in England or something. If you know who he is, I asked my parents because I was two when this came out. Uh, shameless plug, uh, if you'd like to wish me a happy birthday, Saturday will be my 56th birthday. Where's uh, the... I've made it 56 years, and I feel like I'm holding up pretty well. <laughs> uh, in any event, I asked my parents if they knew who this guy was, because they, of course, would have been adults at that time and uh, theoretically watching television or paying attention to what's going on. But they had no idea who this fellow was either. So I don't know who he was. I don't know why he was writing cookbooks, but um, I'm glad that he did, and I'm glad that Penguin put out this box set because I made about 59 or $60 dollars. Actually, it was probably a little more than that uh, profit on this deal. So pretty exciting. So let's jump back into the chat real quick before we close it out for today. Uh, my reseller treasure, good morning. I've never had any issues with Puerto Rico. Yeah, so I know some folks occasionally, like I said, have some issues there. There are some, for some reason, who think that's international shipping. I, th I think it's treated kind of like the APO, FPO addresses. It isn't exactly like a regular domestic u.s address but i've never had any issues have fun flipping tim thank you for the happy birthday rebel junk thank you ah happy birthday to you as well that's awesome <laughs> uh october is a big month my uh ex-wife who lives in northern ohio in the finley area uh is her birthday was yesterday so happy birthday to her even though she doesn't talk to me anymore <laughs> uh so with that um, unless anybody has anything else they would like to cover in the chat over here on the YouTube live, I think we're going to close it for today. If you are again, a seller on eBay, um, man, I know these seller updates are, are brutal. Like I said, I went through it in the spring. It was rough. There were a lot of updates that needed to be done. And, uh, Aaron says, I'm in Finley. That's crazy. I know that's, that's funny. Uh, it's a very small world for sure. Uh, happy days, happy birthday, shared your channel with my friend. Thank you. I appreciate that. That is something that, uh, if you are here on the YouTube as it were and watching, if you could do me a favor, like this video, if you got something out of it, if you're not a subscriber to the channel or to the podcast, Hey, please consider doing that. And of course, share this with anybody that you think might get something out of it or enjoy it. Uh, you may have noticed or went totally down a different path here. You may have noticed that over the last few days, I've released some short videos, three to 15 minutes. My intention is that I'm going to break this podcast up. I will publish it in its entirety on Wednesday, but then the other days during the week, maybe not all of them, I will post a small chunk of it for those of you who would be interested in watching some of this, but you need it in a more digestible 10 or 15 minute chunk instead of an hour at a time. So there will be new videos dropping on a daily or semi-daily basis that contain all of this same content for you to be able to digest in a little smaller format. Or if you're only interested in, for instance, the what sold segment, or you're only interested in news about Etsy or eBay, those videos will be available to you separately 
as we go through the week between the full episodes. So let me know if you think that's a good idea. Let me know if it's helpful. Hopefully, it will help attract, along with your sharing of the channel, some new uh, subscribers, some new viewers. Uh, that would that would really be awesome. Hopefully, there's some useful information here. So, But anyway, back to my closing thoughts. If you are a seller on eBay, these seller updates, man, they are... They are problematic. They are not easy. They are not fun. I can personally attest having done thousands of updates that at the time I thought were ridiculous. It is, it's not a pleasant experience. And the, again, the timing of it is quite terrible going into fourth quarter. But at the end of the day, in order to maximize our opportunities in their sandboxes, we have to figure out a way to manage our processes, to best take advantage of whatever changes they've made. Hopefully you're able to figure them out. Um, A lot of you, like me, in this case in the fall, may not have been impacted. Um, Knock wood, that's good for me because I I really paid the price in the spring. (laughs) Uh, I spent half of my day every day for probably the better part of six weeks making item specifics updates to get things ready now The advantage that I had in the spring is that those updates weren't due for several months. Like some of the changes that are being required now for the fall seller update are not due until February, if I'm not mistaken. There are some that because of these category changes are required now. And if the eBay boffins have not worked it out so that those things automatically update from your old listings, you've got some work ahead of you and I definitely feel for you. But unfortunately like a lot of things, it's part of the cost of doing business on their platform. So with that, we're going to close it for today. I appreciate those of you who have listened to the podcast, those of you who have joined me today live, those of you who wish me happy birthday. Thank you very much. I do appreciate it. I still haven't decided what I'm going to do, but I will figure something out. Uh, But now it's time to sell. Thanks, guys. You have been listening to the Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will catch you again next time.